Good morning again. It's great to have you in uh, God's house today. It doesn't matter whether you're watching online or whether you're in the room. Uh, I pray that you're blessed by this message. And, and I know that God can do this. Uh, he can take this message and, and he'll put on your heart exactly what you need to hear. Just pray right now that you'd be open to that message. It might not even be anything I would say, but you'll think I said it. It's the way God works. You know, he takes his word and he divides it among us. And we hear maybe a text that we know and have heard before. And we have a new insight because it's a living thing that God is doing for us. Let's pray. Gracious Lord, bless this time that we spend with your word. We are presenting open hearts so that you might imprint on us a word of encouragement, a word of hope, a word of perseverance. Lord, that that we might increase in our trust and faith in you. Bless us for this we pray in Christ Jesus. Amen. Well, the book of Galatians is all about faith and and works and the proper relationship between them. Today, he uh, defines faith for us uh, using the example of Abraham who just believed in God. He just had faith in God. And it was accounted to him as righteousness. Now, as I think about defining something like faith, we could stay at a theological, philosophical level, or we could break it down to a a practical experience. And for me, that is always in kind of a historic context, a a real-life, true story. So I'd like to begin with a a story of faith for you today. It goes back to uh, the 1900s, actually uh, 1914, The Imperial Trans-Antarctic Expedition Expedition of 1914. The early 1900s was an age of discovery. Albert Einstein had just published his theory of relativity. Radio was in, in its infancy. People were figuring out how to use electricity for more than just lighting lights. And uh, the gas-powered engine looked to be the wave of the future. It was into this era that uh, a person by the name of Ernest Shackleton, uh, a British explorer, asked for permission to cross the Antarctic. Don't ask me why. I don't know why anyone would want to do that. But he did. And uh, he had originally already sailed a boat further south than anybody had ever sailed a boat. And he had charted some of these waters. And he had charted the ice shelf that extends from Antarctica. Uh, And he had been knighted for that work. He had hoped to be the first uh, white man to ever reach the the South Pole. But unfortunately, another person, a Norwegian, had beat him to that honor, uh, Amundsen. And he had done it uh, by following the intuit Uh, the Inuit Indian uh, way of using uh, seal skins and and, uh, uh, dog sleds and uh, not the the white European way to discover that. And and so uh, Ernest Shackleton thought he could do that, not just to go to the South Pole, but to cross the entire continent of Antarctica. Let me see a map here uh, of what it looks like. Now this is the part that extends furthest north towards South Africa, South America. Now remember this is the bottom of the globe and so everything is north from here. South America is, looks straight north. Uh, Africa is actually west but it's really north as well and Australia is here. So he intended, this is the Weddell Sea, he intended to uh, bring his ships in here during the Arctic summer because that's the only way you could get through the ice pack, to ground and then to put dog sled teams and skis and 
cross the Antarctic and come out on the Australia side, have a ship meet him there, the first man ever to do it, 1,800 miles. He'd have to do this. He says, well, that's not a big deal. He says, it's that far if you go to the South Pole and back, so let's just keep going, and we'll have some people um, resupply us from the other side. So that was his plan. And so he advertised for some men to accompany him. This was his advertisement. Men wanted for hazardous journey, small wages, bitter cold, long months of complete darkness, constant danger, safe return doubtful, <laughs> honor and recognition in case of success. You know, that was, he had people apply for that job, you know, get in line. And he, he chose 28 men to accompany him. Now, you have to have a special boat to do this. Uh, let, me, let me stay with the map for a little while because I want, I want to explain what happens here. Uh, now, this is the, the furthest north of uninhabited islands off the coast of Antarctica. And uh, uh, Elephant Island is, is where they eventually ended up. But then 850 miles up here is the last inhabited island where some whalers had established a, a, a whaling station. And so that was the nearest living person compared to Antarctica at the time. Now, he comes all the way down here, wants to get as far south as he can with his ship, and then he runs into trouble. And so I just want you to get an understanding that this is sticking pretty far north, and so that's where he, he attempts to come. Now, like I said, you have to get a special boat to do this. And uh, he uh, had a boat commissioned in Norway where they built special polar exploration boats. And this was called the Endurance, which would prove to be a, an insightful name, <laughs> Endurance. That, that boat had a keel from bow to stern that was seven feet thick. It was a wooden ship, but it was meant to be an ice crusher. And the beam that kept the sides apart, four feet thick. The walls, two feet thick, solid oak. Because they expected to get trapped in the ice, and they would have to wait until the ice would break up, and then they would move on and move on and, and just work their way through the ice pack. Now, they left England in August of 1914. The journey was not completed until August of 1916. Two years they were at this. Now, they left at that time because this is the southern hemisphere. And what is our winter is their summer. And what is their summer is our winter. And so they left in August. And they arrived at that whaling station that I pointed out before, which was... Uh, uh, by the strange name of South Georgia, South Georgia Island, where the whaling station was, they arrived there in November. And, and so they were just getting ready for a uh, polar summer to break out in the Southern Hemisphere when the ice would be loose and they could break through the, the thinner ice and, and get to land. Because uh, they had to get to land because the ice would constantly shift and build these huge ridges that they could not cross. And so they had to get to land where the ice wouldn't shift like this. So they arrived off the coast of Antarctica in January, which would be almost the bloom of summer in Antarctica, if you believe that. And they got within 100 miles of the coast, 100 miles. And their ship became stuck fast in the ice. They thought, well, that's okay. They expected they'd be stuck fast in the ice. The ice will break and it'll shift. In fact, it would crack so loud sometimes it would sound like an explosion. And uh, they felt they were safe in their ship. And, and even if the ship would never get to land the swirl of the water would bring them further up north, up the coast, and then it would eventually break open and they could at least uh, rescue the crew. That was their plan. And so the ship became stuck fast in January. Six months they lived in that ship waiting for it to break open until 
polar winter set in and crushed the ship. Crushed the ship. They were a thousand miles from any inhabitable space. No radio. No one coming. Everybody thinking they're dead. Now this is the definition of faith. Getting up today and saying, Captain, do you think we're going to make it? There's no way to know. You just have to do what's required today. There's no way to know if we'll make it or not. And so they thought at first we'll take our dogs and we'll take our sleds and we'll get as far as we can. But the ice ridges were so high and so impassable that to even break through them with an axe would take an inordinate amount of time and energy and they would make no progress. So they decided to stay on the ice shelf and just let it move north as it continued to swirl along the coast until they would be close enough to reach open water and then maybe use some of the lifeboats that were only 22 feet long to get to some piece of ground. That's eventually what they did. And they kept moving from ice pack to ice pack, being chased by killer whales that would bump them. They were used to, uh, killer whales were used to hitting ice flows, knocking penguins and knocking seals into the water and eating them. And they thought these people are just bigger penguins. And so maybe we can still do that. So they were fighting that off. Uh, uh, leopard seals as well that are just sharks with flippers. And, uh, and, and they made their way finally uh, after they got to open water and going from ice flow to ice flow, they made it to Elephant Island, an uninhabited island. No one's ever going to come there. They were 850 miles, 850 miles from that whaling station across the Antarctic Ocean, the meanest ocean in the world, waves 60 to 90 feet tall in a lifeboat. And so they took apart one of the other lifeboats and they made a deck on the top of the one that they thought was most seaworthy, made a makeshift uh, um, uh, mast and, and put a makeshift sail on it. And Shackleton and six guys said, we will sail 850 miles through this horrific ocean and find our way to this spit of land where there's a whaling station. It's our only hope. They left 22 men behind. Six men went on this journey. They had uh, rude navigation instruments that they held to the sun. In the more than two weeks that it took to reach that piece of ground, they only saw the sun four times, and they managed to hit that piece of ground that was just a speck in the ocean. If they had missed it, they'd have been washed out to sea and lost forever. But even then, when they landed, they were on the wrong side of the island. 30 miles on the other side was the whaling station. And it was a mountainous island, some of the peaks 10,000 feet tall. And they realized that when they set out, only three were strong enough to do it. They would never be able to stop. They walked for three days and finally got there. Four trips later, four months later, they rescued the other 22 men. In that group of 28, no one was lost. Incredible story. 1915. The Bible says, now faith is confidence in what we hope for. Now we'll survive this thing somehow. And it's assurance about what we cannot prove, what we cannot see. That's what faith is. It is what the ancients were commended for. I don't know about you, but um, I struggle with matters of faith. I mean, I'm a pastor. I talk about faith. I teach about faith. I write about faith. But everything in me resists living by faith. And I think if you were honest, you want something more tangible than just trust. Just patient reliance on the goodness of God to provide for you. You want God to lay out what it is that he wants you to do so you can know if you're making progress, so you can earn his favor. It's just human nature to want to do that. You know, I don't like to be needy. I don't like to rely on others. 
you know, or at least I want to be able to negotiate. You do this for me, I'll do that for you if I do require the help of others. I don't mind helping. I don't mind helping needy people, but I want to be self-reliant. You know, I think it's our nature. It's the nature of the human person who would rather be in control of their own destiny. And when it comes to God, I think that way as well. I can't help because that's who I am. You know, I'm a flesh and blood person and that's the way it works in the world. You know, I want to be like that guy that Teddy Roosevelt defined in that famous speech about the man in the arena. You know, the man in the arena who deserves the praise because he's been in there and he's been fighting. And even if he suffers loss, uh, he suffers loss only for the ultimate gain that he will achieve. And if he doesn't achieve it, at least he will uh, know the opportunity that he exerted himself to gain the privilege of succeeding. And he will never be that guy who never tried. That's the way I want to be. That's the way I want to serve God. I want God to say, this is what is required of you. Do this and you will be my child and I will grant you my favor. That's the way it is. That's the way we live. That's the way we achieve things in life. But God came to Abraham and Abraham living in this fashion like all people live in this fashion said, I have a better way for you, Abraham. You know, I want to bless you to be a blessing. And all I want you to do is just trust that I am good and that I love you and I will provide for you. And live with that assurance every day in your life that you don't know how this will work out. I'm not going to give you a prescription, a formula, uh, a blueprint, uh, uh, a list of activities. Just trust in me and I will provide. Our text is about uh, God providing that kind of experience for Abraham. It's from Galatians chapter 3, beginning at verse 6. And so Abraham believed in God, and it was credited to him as acceptance. You know, just trust me, Abraham, and that was all that you have to do. And, and it was credited to him as righteousness or perfection so that he could be received by a perfect God. Understand then that those who have faith like that, those who simply trust in the goodness of God and the provision of God because God is love and God has created us and God has redeemed us, we are then living the same faith that Abraham lived and so we are rightfully called children of Abraham. Scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles, that he would bring them into a relationship with him, that he would make them acceptable to him, justify them, declare them acceptable um, by faith. Not by keeping all the Jewish laws, the Jewish customs, the Jewish traditions, become Jewish, then you, if you're a good Jew, then you can accept our Jewish Savior. No, he's going to justify them simply like he did Abraham. Just believe in me. And he announced the gospel in advance to Abraham. All nations, Abraham will be blessed through you. By the relationship that you and I have, they will be blessed to discover the same. So those who rely on faith are blessed, along with Abraham, who was the original man of faith. But not everyone wants to live that way. There are people like me who who want to negotiate with God, who want to manipulate God, who want to behave in a certain way that God can't ignore. It's kind of a hollow way to live, but, you know, we can be hollow people. For all who rely on their own deeds, their own works, their own proof that they are worthy of God's blessing really fall under a curse from God. That's not the way to achieve his favor. For it's written, cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything that's in the book of the law. In other words, he says, Steve, if you want to be saved by doing good, then you have to do everything perfectly well. 
If you want to use that as your standard, then perfection is going to be hard for you to achieve. In fact, it's going to be impossible for you to achieve. And so you're cursed by following that means of drawing close to God. Clearly, no one who relies on doing good, on being perfect, will ever be justified before God. You can't be perfect enough. It's like the tree on the outside that looks great, but on the inside is rotten and hollow. Because if you really want to be righteous, you will simply live by what God has done for you, not what you do for God. The law is not based on faith. If you choose to, you know, prove yourself to God day in and day out, that's not faith. It's contrary to faith. It says the person who does these things will have to live by these things. And it will be a a heavy load, an unbearable taskmaster that you can never please. But Christ redeemed us from that way of thinking, living that way, making religion about behavior. By, By becoming a curse for us, he achieved that perfection. And even though he didn't need to, because he was perfect, he died for those who were not perfect. Uh, he became cursed by being hung on a cross, or cursed is everyone, the Old Testament says, who is hung on a pole. He became our curse. And by that means, he redeemed us. By that means, he paid our price in order that the blessing that was promised to Abraham might come to us, apart from all the ritual, apart from all the behavior, apart from all the laws. But through Christ Jesus... So that by faith, we might receive the promise of the Spirit. Now, this message is only for two groups of people. So, uh, you may uh, be excused here in just a moment. Um, It's for people who believe that they are good Christians. You know, when you start saying they're a good Christian, uh, or they're a Christian, but they're kind of a nominal Christian, not really really a sincere Christian. Um, You know... I'm a good Christian. I, I find myself in that category. I'm certainly better than most of you. You know. <laughs> you know if you want to be arrogant about it, you know, it, it's for people like me. It's for people like me who think, you know, I'm a pretty good Christian compared to the others. It's for that group of people. And it's also for those who believe they will never be good enough to be honored by God and to be loved by him. Maybe you fall into that category. I fall into that category too. I'm in both. You know, so there are times that I just say, why would God have anything to do with me? I constantly doubt him. I constantly disappoint him. I, my behavior falls short of his expectations. And I'm a Christian pastor. I'm a, such a poor Christian pastor. You know, how can I get up and preach about something that I don't do well in my own life? So this text is for people who think they are a good Christian and for people who think they can never be good enough. So I don't know if that doesn't include you, you're free to leave, you know. Because I've discovered this, that faith is not an easier way, it's, it's just a better way. It doesn't mean that people in faith uh, escape difficulties of life. Some of my friends who are members of this congregation right now are facing a terminal sentence because of cancer. Or have had huge setbacks in their life and, and they may seek our counsel and I, I just say, you know, I, I'll pray with you and, and uh, I'll reassure you of God's love but I, I don't know the way forward. You, you want direction, but I can't necessarily provide it. People of faith deal with terminal illness. They deal with job layoffs. They deal with betrayal. They deal with devata- devastating loss and impossible situations every day. And I lack the resource. I lack the wisdom. I lack the perseverance. I lack the patience. I lack the trust. Now, I know that God has all of those things. He has the resources. You know, he has the ability. He has the wisdom. 
to provide. And so I say, well, how can I get God to work for me then? That's, that's my only obligation as his child. How can I manipulate dad to do what I need dad to do for me? And, and, and if I behave in a certain way, then, then dad will be pleased with me and he'll, he'll encourage me with his favor. So many of us as Christians believe that we earn God's favor by doing God and by doing good and avoiding wrong. We believe that we can cut a deal with our Heavenly Father. Because for me, sometimes, and probably for you too, faith feels like doing nothing. So you're asking me to do nothing? And we want so desperately to do something. We want so desperately to know that we have some control of our situation. Something inside us wants to earn the way. Wants to know that, you know, we have it up on God and, and God, because of who we are and because of what we're doing for him, the sacrifice I'm making as a pastor sh- should account for something, you know, should do something for me. But Paul just said in Galatians, if you rely on trusting in your own behavior, you will not receive God's blessing. That is a curse for you. It's an oppression that you can't bear up under. If you try to do everything perfectly, you must be perfect. Clearly, no one who relies on their own behavior will ever be acceptable before God. They will fall short because acceptance comes by faith. Faith, just trust in the goodness of God, the love of God, and the ultimate provision of God. It really requires two things in my mind. It requires patience and trust. Faith implies patience. If it wasn't patient, if you had some need, some desire for God to intervene in your life and he immediately intervened, where would faith be? It's not faith. God immediately responds with your present need. You would never grow deeper in your trust in him if things happened immediately. It was true for Abraham as well. When God first made that promise to Abraham, Abraham, I'm gonna bless you to be a blessing to others. Abraham was 75 years old. He said, I'm going to raise up from your lineage, from your children, a nation of people who love me and have this right relationship, this authentic relationship with me. From you, Abraham, your children and your children's children. In fact, he took him out and said, can you see the stars in heaven? That's how great your descendants will be. Can you count the sand on the seashore? That's how many your descendants will be. The problem was at 75, Sarah, his wife, was barren. She was not able to bear children to him. (laughs) Just believe, Abraham, I've made this promise to you. Okay, God, but you're going to have to do something here. You're going to have to intervene somehow because we've been trying for years and it's not happened. 25 years later, still had not had a child. It's interesting because at first he could blame it on Sarah. You know, Sarah's the, the problem here, not me. I can handle my business. You know, but Sarah is barren. 25 years later, they had still not had a child. And it's interesting the way the New Testament describes Abraham. It says, in Abraham, as good as dead, you know, 100 years old, many people don't have children. Uh, As good as dead, still did not have a child. And God came to his tent and said, by this time that I come next year, you will have a son. (laughs) You know, talk about patience. To believe that God will provide because God is good and God is love and God has power to intervene requires patience. But patience is not all that's required. It also uh, is synonymous with trust. 
I can't only be patient with God. I have to believe that he will intervene, that he will do something for me. But Lord, I, I want some kind of a sign. You know, I'm willing to be patient, but could occasionally you just reassure me with some kind of a, you know, a special sign, some kind of miracle in my life that says, okay, okay, God's still there. He's still providing for me. Or do I simply have to trust in your goodness and in your love? That's why so many, uh, even Christians, uh, like to read their horoscope in the paper. You know, I want something more tangible than just trusting in the goodness and provision and the love of God. Or uh, we go to palm readers, or we have certain superstitions, or even favorite crosses, or, or uh, things that we do uh, that we believe will somehow merit, you know, good luck. Uh, whether it's holy water, or whether it's pious activity, uh, certain kind of, uh, you know, faithfulness in worship, or whatever it is. There's, there's reasons, you know, to be faithful in worship, but it's not to earn God's favor. It's always been that way. Human beings always want God to prove themselves. In fact, Paul said to the church at Corinth, he said, Jews demand signs. You know, when they, when they saw Jesus and, and people said, he's the Messiah, they said, show us, prove us that you're the Messiah. Do a miracle for us. And we still say that, Lord, do a miracle so that I can still trust you. You know, intervene in this thing and then, and then I'll, I'll, I'll definitely be your advocate. And Greeks look for wisdom. You know, give me some rational reason to believe all the things that the Bible says because it sounds like foolishness to me. But Paul says, we don't offer signs, we don't offer miracles, we don't give guarantees, and what we teach is foolish, because we preach a Savior who was crucified. Your Savior was crucified? Roman soldiers could take your Messiah and put him on a cross until he died? That's a stumbling block to Jews. They said, our Messiah will be as great or greater than King David. David was never put to death by his enemies, and so they can't accept him as the Messiah. And it's foolishness to the Gentiles. Who would believe in such a failure as that? That's who we preach. But to those whom God has called to this faith, to this walk, whether you are Jew or Gentile, Christ, we know the Savior, is the power of God and the wisdom of God. We know that God foretold that he would send us a rescue, that he would bring us back in relationship with him that he would deal with our inability to be perfect and he would do it in the form of a person who would be born in a certain place in a certain way of a virgin in Bethlehem and he would live and, and his life would be marked with certain miracles and then he would be put to death a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief Isaiah 53 and all of these things were fulfilled so we know that God has been faithful in his promises. And if he's been faithful in the greatest thing to provide for our salvation through Jesus Christ, will he not also with him freely take care of our lesser, immediate, tangible needs? Trust me. Can you simply trust God to provide? Now, I certainly have friends and I've had family who have faced difficult situations. Some of them have been rescued. There are people in our church that are worshiping with us today that came in and made funeral preparations with me. And that was years ago because the diagnosis was that dire. And God has rescued them. He has that ability and I know that he does. And I have a younger brother and a younger sister that are with the Lord in heaven now. We certainly prayed for them, but God had a different solution. Who am I to say that they have not received the greater blessing. Can I simply trust 
that God has their best interest and my best interest at heart and just believe that God is good, God loves me, and God will provide according to his wisdom and according to his power. Simple faith. You know, by faith, we are acceptable to God. By faith, we receive our perfection. So what can we take away from this simple message of Paul to simply believe that Abraham was blessed to be a blessing and if we believe like he believed, simply in God's provision, we too will be blessed. There are some things that we should take away. First of all, if we draw near to God, he will draw near to you. There's a scripture that says, now is the day of salvation. Now is the day of the Lord. Surely in a flood of great waters he will not be found. Everybody was a believer when the flood came. God said, there's going to be a flood come. It's going to destroy the world. No one believed. When the flood came, everybody believed. Now is the time for us to make preparation because there are going to be difficulties that we're going to face in life. And he has provided ways for you to provision yourself. Just like Shackleton provisioned his ships with supplies to endure, you know, what was unexpected, what they could not anticipate. And because of those provisions, he was able to survive, you know, almost two years on the ice flows. God has given you his word, not to make you perfect, but to give you direction. You know, as, as a parent gives counsel to a child, when a child lives this way, their life will prosper. When a child does this, that is uh, going to be self-destructive, and they will suffer consequence. For this reason, God has given us his word, and so we study it, that, that we might be in a good place and, and draw closer to the Lord so that that faith will sustain us in those difficult times. But we don't wait until it's too late. God has given us the sacrament. He's given us opportunities to worship. He's given us devotions. He's given us other Christians that we can draw strength from. So draw near to the Lord during this time for the seasons that you will certainly face. Secondly, practice patience. You say, well, how do I practice patience? It was interesting that Shackleton in, in uh, his cruise divided his cruise uh, in, a, in a very interesting way. They had to spread out because the ice was constantly cracking and swallowing tents. And, and so he had different divisions. And he always made sure that he had an optimistic person with each group of people. When they took to those uh, lifeboats, those three lifeboats, he made sure they had an optimistic person in each lifeboat. Because if they would have ever turned negative, if they ever turned doubtful, they would have all died. And even when he left the 22 on Elephant Island and said, I'll come back for you after I sail 850 miles across the open Arctic Ocean, you know, and, and find that whaling station, you know, that's only on an island 25 miles across, I'll come back for you. He had to leave with that group, one of his best leaders, who would be optimistic because if he didn't, and they did get back to them, they would all be dead. Practice patience. How do you practice patience? You look every day to see a blessing in your life. Pray that God would open your eyes to see a blessing in your life because you're going to have trouble, but you're also going to have favor and blessing. Pray that God would open your eyes to see the favor and see the blessing that it would enable you to endure the difficulty. If there's something that you are pursuing that has been withheld, he will provide it in his time and he will provide it in his way. And it will be better than if you had control of him and forced him to do it in your time and in your way. Practice patience. And then finally, respect God's direction, which is the law, his, his word. But respect it as God intended it, to be helpful in your life. If you live this way, you know, the consequence will be good. If, if, you, if, you, if you do these things, uh, the consequence will be frustrating for you. And I, I want nothing 
but your blessing. You don't do it to achieve his favor. You don't have to do something to receive what you already have. Your favor has already been received by faith through Jesus Christ. You can't be more perfect than the righteousness that you have by simple faith and trust in him. And so it's just a matter of an attitude towards life. I know that God is good. I know he's kept his promise in sending me Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. I know that he has all power in heaven and on earth. And I know that his solution to my present difficulty is better than my best idea. And I simply believe that he will do that. In the meanwhile, I will take care of what I need to take care of, always understanding the relationship I have because of what Jesus has done for me. If you don't know that Jesus yet, if he's not your Savior yet, if you don't have that calm confidence to face every day, I urge you to just acknowledge how hollow and how difficult and how stressful it is to be on your own, to live by behavior that you think will achieve some result, either without God or manipulate God uh, to grant you what you wish, and simply believe. I, I like the song that says, you know, quit trying to hold on and just be held. You know, quit trying to exert your influence over God and just allow him to exert his influence over you. There's a scripture uh, in the Old Testament, the wisdom of, of Solomon, the wisest man in the world, who said, we have many plans, we have many desires, we have many interests, we have many things that we want to achieve, many things that we want to overcome. We have many plans. But it's the Lord's purpose that prevails. And I believe that the Lord's purpose is better than, than my ideal purpose. Shackleton never knew the outcome of one day. He just said, today we are going to live with this relationship. Today we are going to trust. And then tomorrow we'll do it again. And the day after that we'll do it again. Each day he did what he could, but he knew and trusted in the outcome of the Lord. What a freeing way to live as opposed to the hollow way of relying on your own ability rather than God's, relying on your uh, own achievements rather than what God has achieved for you. Let me pray. Lord, as, as we sing this next song, this, this song called Anchor, I know that the scripture says that hope is the anchor for our soul. And an anchor keeps, keeps a ship in rough water from, from slamming on the rocks. And Lord, we need that anchor. We need the anchor of hope. We need the anchor of faith uh, to keep us off the rocks of life and, and uh, in the midst of the storm to keep us secure. And, and so, Lord, increase in your children by the power of your Holy Spirit greater faith, greater trust, greater patience uh, in the fact that you have our back, that you have proven that without a doubt. We don't need any other miracle. All we need is the empty cross. All we need is the empty tomb to know that you have provided in the greatest need for us and have made us acceptable in your sight to make a request, to trust you to respond, and ultimately to bring us home to be with you forever. In Christ, amen. I pray that this song is, uh, is a call to you to anchor your life and, and to anchor your expectations in simple trust, simple patience in the goodness of God.